This is live, so there's no editing, Greg. Oh, okay. we, you are on camera. We are squeezing in with three fantastic folks from BV United SC, or just BV United. Whichever let's, one you let's, want. Okay, yep. whatever you want to call them. So we have Greg, technical director, Taylor, your coach on, is it U15s? Yep, U15 and, and 16 girls. Jen Larrick, who we've bothered before for her work with Like a Girl. Mm -hmm. And Jen, you coach... I am going to coach U11s, cool. I'm helping Taylor with the 15s, and I'm the girls' director of coaching. That's great. So, BV United has a great, we tweeted about this earlier this week, they have a great um, club principle or like a guiding rule that you operate off of that girls' team should be coached by women, so that's uh, the reason we're featuring you here today. I, I rarely dip into the club and youth scene because <laughs> it quickly gets me shouted at by parents, so I usually <laughs> avoid it. But you guys do something so cool that I thought it would be great to talk about the club. So, Greg, why don't you kick things off and just talk about um, uh, BV United is a pretty new club as a, as a new entity. So talk a little bit about how the club um, formed as kind of that merger phase and then how you decided to kind of adopt that principle of we think girls should have a chance to, you know, see themselves and their coaches. Sure. It was summer 2016 and Andy McIntosh, who was the president of the Valley United at the time, approached me on a, at a field after a game. I was watching a game with one of our kids, and um, he just said something to think about. We should consider joining forces. And at the time, I thought, well, fine, okay, I'm open-minded. I didn't realize the uh, suddenness with which or swiftness with which he wanted to move. <laughs> I was thinking this would be a two-year discussion, but um, we met in December, I think, of that year, 2016, and decided that uh, let's do it, let's go. And it was really about... You know, two clubs that had very similar makeups um, geographically were all hovered around one, you know, district borderline. So even a lot of the Valley United participants were residents of Burnsville, but just the way the school districts break up in that community, that's how it works. So th there really wasn't a lot of geographical change. There wasn't going to be an increase in driving. There was some discomfort, right, when you're used to going right next door and suddenly you've got to go one block over. You know, that was probably our greatest hurdle. And that's just general Minnesotan version. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very much the way it was. <laughs> so we worked, you know, worked through the details and, and grabbed a group of colleagues to help us through that process. And, and we rolled out BV United for the fall of 2017. So that's when we you know, really were, became a reality. Um, as it pertains to, like, why women are coaching girls, that really started with my wife. Um, she suggested that I read Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. Mm -hmm. And so when I did, I thought, I'm a pretty good guy. I don't, <laughs> you know, I treat women really well. And, and when I read it, I was, I was a bit taken aback at, at my own behaviors that I wasn't aware of. And so I think at that point in time, I, I was always kind of dancing on, you know, what's going on with the girls program? How do we make it better? How do we make it stronger? And perhaps maybe because I had been at Burnsville Fire for four or five years, the boys program had started to thrive a little bit in younger ages and the girls hadn't been as rich. And I asked my wife frequently, I'm like, am I, am I doing something here subconsciously to affect this? Like, what's happening? Mm -hmm. How is this influence occurring? And so I, I just decided that I was gonna do it. And it wasn't easy at first because when you, when you don't know who to reach out to, you know, I have a pool, certainly being connected at the university has, has been helpful. But getting a full staff of all women who are qualified, not just women, like women that are really going to be good at what they do to provide a great experience for our children, that was a different story. And I don't think it was until, you know, February, March maybe that I finally finished and got the full staff 
uh, the full complement set up for the summer season. And so that happened, and, and we've been, so fall 2017 we had it, uh, spring 2018, spring, summer, fall 2018, and now as we head into 2019, we're fully covered. And one of the, the evolutions of this process too was understanding that, okay, so I'm leading this group, I'm coaching, all, I'm coaching the coaches, but I still have an unconscious bias. And so when the women are in a room with me and I'm leading this group, there's still, a, there's something to be considered here. So how can I affect that change? Well, a year ago, I started talking with Jen about coming in and, and, and having that role. So she became the women's, uh, or the girls' director of coaching. I've taken a step back and said, okay, now I can hide in the background and not be on the field every day and spend more time with my family, <laughs> which is important um, for us, for sure. Um, I, I just think in doing so, now we've created a model where we have a female coach in place for all of our girls' teams. But in addition to that, we have female, younger female assistant coaches where we are now mentoring yeah. along so that in the future we have a grander pool mm-hmm. of more female coaches but again not women just because you're women mm-hmm. women because you care about this because you're invested in it you're a lifelong learner mm-hmm. you're good you have an understanding of children and the game mm-hmm. and you know how to relate and communicate effectively with parents and families in our community mm-hmm. so that's really well, where it's going and i think we'll let's make sure we can do some full introductions before diving in because there's so much in that but taylor talk a little bit about um kind of uh the teams you coach but then also like how you how you came to be united and how you your involvement in soccer and just kind of you know how you ended up being one of those those women leading one of these teams yeah, so it's kind of a long story. Um, I started coaching when I was playing in college at St. Kate's. Um, Chris Sidowicki was my coach, and I got involved with the local West St. Paul team. Um, I worked my way to find Apple Valley, and while I was there, I also became a freshman coach at Minneapolis Southwest High School. And while I was coaching at Apple Valley, it was right before the merger, and I heard that the future merger DOC was actually watching my game. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm really nervous. You're like auditioning for a job. Yes, I was like, I could see him kind of pacing the field, and I was like, okay. And when you say him, we're talking about Greg. We're talking about Greg. So he was stalking from the other side, Yeah. checking out... auditioning coaches as they were coaching. Yeah, kind of, well, mainly watching the players and getting a read on the players because Greg does a really good job about investing into everybody when he can. Um, And he was investing into the Apple Valley kids because he knew nothing about those girls. Mm -hmm. And I got a phone call from him and he's like, hey, like, are you interested in coaching for, you know, um, BVU? Like, I kind of know that Chris was your coach. And I'm like, yeah, Chris was my coach at St. Kate's. He's like, all right, you're hired. and I was like, really? And he goes, no. And he gave me feedback on the game and um, basically just shared his perspectives of um, what he enjoyed and what he's looking for. And at that point, I was coaching, but I didn't know that's what I wanted to pursue. And so I was like, wow, I, you know, I really like what Greg's saying and his um, motives and morals for this you know, future program and what he wants for these kids. And I want to be a part of that. And so I started working with Greg at BVU, and then I actually became the varsity head coach at Minneapolis Southwest, and that's where my learning and um, my development as a coach and a person just started to bloom and flourish. Um, I really had a deep connection with Southwest. I cared a lot about those girls, and I wanted to um, give them everything that maybe I didn't receive as a player um, and just believe in them. Um, because I think that's really important and with Greg as a mentor and then Jen coming in I've personally had the best support system that I could have as an employee or a coworker or coach um, and so I think because of that 
that really helped me with my two years at Southwest. It helped me now become the uh, graduate assistant here at Augsburg, and it helps me be a better coach because I, I want to coach. I want these girls to believe in themselves. I want them to have good positive role models, but I also have people that are doing the same for me, and that's why I think I am here today is because of the people surrounding me, but um, because we all share values and morals. Mm -hmm. And Jen, talk about kind of your your playing background and how that led into coaching and kind of, um, you know, now as, you know, director of coaching on that side, uh, how you balance that coaching side with then also, like, coaching the coaches like Greg talked sure. about. Sure, yeah. So my background in playing is I grew up playing kind of just, like, high-level elite soccer. I traveled all around the country going to showcase tournaments and ended up, you know, going to University of Florida for two years, transferring to the U of M, played there for three years. Um, and I, like, always wanted to be a professional soccer player, but I knew, like, that might not happen, and even if it did, it might not last, so I have to have, like, a plan B. Um, and so I was like, all right, I love soccer, I'm going to be a coach. And at first it was just like, I guess this is what I'll do, but then I started studying coaching in school and started, like, this really wonderful learning process of, like, in the classroom during the day, I'm learning about how we coach. In the evening, I'm being coached. And then, like, my drive home practice, I'm reflecting on what worked and what didn't, what matched what I learned in school and what didn't match that, and how could, how could utilizing this, like, literature on coaching and psychology and leadership influence, like, optimal performance and experience for kids. Um, and I think that process, like, just made me feel so passionate about coaching and, and in particular coaching coaching girls I think that um, just the, the experience knowing that soccer has shaped who I am on such a deep level um, and knowing that like physical activity is a basic human right that girls don't all have equal access to um, makes me really passionate about, about coaching girls specifically mm -hmm. well and I think uh one one question we got on Twitter, and we won't dive fully into Twitter questions, was about, you know, does and should gender matter when it comes to coaching? And sort of there's there's usually a back and forth whenever, you know, our account tweets about this or we do a story about, you know, the percentage of, of women coaches in the Big Ten or the new report about the MIAC just came out, which is yeah. we're sitting in Augsburg right now. Yeah. Um, and usually there's kind of a back and forth of, well, if it's, you know, shouldn't it be just about um, – the quality of coaching alone you know should, there's that's kind of one side of the argument on the opposite side of why this representation matters but I think one anecdote I will share watching just the go just going to go for games you will see no offense to literally almost every single male coach in the big <laughs> but you will go and watch you oh, will yeah, watch the so gophers much. and you can if you go to a gopher game and you absolutely should this fall just literally watch Steph Galan and the and the Gophers coaches sitting in their chairs talking to their players. They shout when they have to yell across the field a few times a game, but they're sitting and watching because they've they've coached the players to play the game. Then turn and look at the coach from, gosh, I'm gonna probably mix up who they are, but like Purdue, Rutgers, name a Big Ten school, and these men are just full-throated screaming like military style the entire game and it's distracting like as a human being it's yeah. embarrassing to watch and it certainly doesn't make you feel like the players are empowered and that's not guaranteed to happen because of gender or because of who's on the sideline but I think it speaks to the idea of 
um, you know, players, especially young players, you know, look to a coach as, as someone they can model after. Um, and, and especially um, Taylor and Jen, talk about just your playing career, the mix of coaches you had. I mean, like, what, you know, what did it feel like, you know, when you were, when you were younger, going through college, because you both have played, you know, different levels of college. I mean, just talk about what those different coaches were like. Yeah. So I played at the U for Steph Golan, and like you said, very quiet during games. Um, and I just had a lot of female coaches growing up. I, I Becky Burley at Florida is a female coach, and there's no question in my mind that those role models are a huge part of why I believed that I could do this. Um, and I also like took classes with Dr. Lavoie at the U, like volunteered in the Tucker Center, and so it was just in my kind of formative collegiate years was around this messaging that like female coaches matter and you can do this and like there may be barriers but you can still do this Mm -hmm. um so like that's certainly why I think it's possible and in my experience I have had female coaches that have yelled I have had female coaches that I don't think always treated young people in respectful ways I've had male coaches who were kind and caring um I do think that like identity has certain identities have certain power structures in society, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that a grown male coach yelling at young girls has a different meaning than a grown female coach yelling at girls. Mm-hmm. There's implied power there that, mm-hmm. and um, we're kind of programmed to experience those things differently too, just by the yeah. rest of society. Absolutely, absolutely. So gender in and of itself matters. Um, whether regardless of, of coaching style for sure mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and Taylor talk about um I mean having played you know in at St. Kate's and then coach at the high school level talk about what those those different levels have been like or different coaches you've interacted with I mean you played for a male coach at St. Kate's and now you're mm-hmm. overseeing teams um like talk about that that dynamic of like yeah So I've had two female coaches my entire life, and I've played since Mm -hmm. I was three. And my first female coach was my mom at rec soccer. Yes, that's great. (laughs) I was going to say, if a parent is not one of them, what are we even doing? That was the best experience ever because it was just fun. She had no idea what she was talking about, and we just hung out with friends. Um, The second female coach I had was when I was in high school. It was Becky Deliria, and she was a former U of M gopher. And besides that, I've had all male coaches, all types of coaches. I've had, um, you know, the coach that screams at us across the field, Bloody Mary, and we're, you know, scared to do anything or make another mistake. (laughs) I've had coaches that didn't say anything, and we're just kind of standing there, like, what's going on, and no feedback. Um, And then I had Chris, and Chris was one of the best coaches I've ever had. He introduced me to the game, but he showed me that soccer is more about the sport Um, He cared about us on such a deep level. I don't think there was ever a time where he wasn't doing something off the field to benefit us or help us grow or help us better understand or teach us to be better human beings. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I was like, wow, you know, I'm really glad I came to college. I'm really glad I played college soccer. Like, this is the best experience that I have had yet to focus on me holistically. So with his encouragement coaching club, um, I was a little nervous at first. I probably coached my first club team like they were going to be in college and they were 12. Um, I, I didn't necessarily, you know, I didn't, I, at that time I didn't know better. I didn't know yeah. the developmental stages of learning for sports and for kids. I didn't know where they should be at or where they want to be at. I just asked them 
what do you guys want? Okay, let's do it. This is what I've been taught. This is what I know. Um, and then progressing into high school, high school was hard because one, I got the varsity position when I was 21. So I got a lot of backlash because of my age. Mm -hmm. um, Coaching and, the varsity team yeah, at 21. Yeah. Yep, because of my age and the girls were ecstatic. When, it, when I was announced <laughs> as a head coach, there was a standing ovation and I'm speaking humbly like, it was nerve No, Brett, lean into it, it was, Brett. No, it was... Lean into just, that, Brett. Just Taylor. describe the applause. It's International let's, Women's Day. Let's drink this in. All right, cool it down. Um, no, but it was, it was great because I'm like, there's 80 girls in this program that want just the female presence of a role model. Yeah. Someone that can mm -hmm. connect with them on a deeper level than you might think a male coach can. And I'm not saying it's not possible, but there is that gender aspect there where they can visually see me and say, I can do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so at that point, you know, I was coaching against a lot of male coaches and there was another female coach, Lizzie um, Merrill at South that came in and her and I were kind of buddies and we're like, we're getting through this together. We're yeah. gonna figure this out together. Um, we're here for the right reasons. We wanna make this experience good for the kids. Let's talk. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, um, what, pushed me to keep going and to just remember, you know, the why piece was the players. Yeah. Um, with all the doubt or the criticism or the feedback, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to prove myself by continuing to visually show you what I'm here to do and what I want to do, and that's to do whatever is best for these girls, um, to help them believe in themselves, accomplish things they didn't think they could accomplish, uh, strive for excellence, but grow holistically. And so that's kind of what helped me keep going and my why and um, saying, you know what, yeah, I'm a female coach, but this is what I can do, it doesn't matter. Um, that's why I do what I do, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and to that point of like, this is what she can do and it doesn't matter, I think the conversation of like, women coaches are important is an important conversation, but like Greg's been saying, the next step once we're like, hey, women matter and celebrating women is like, mm -hmm oh, actually, they're just really, really good coaches, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? And I am so excited to get that place where mm -hmm. BBU is not just known because we have women coaches, but we're known because we have really incredible mm -hmm. coaches who just ha also happen to be women. Mm -hmm. Well, we're fortunate to have risk takers, too, like, right. like strong, courageous women who have taken the first step to say, okay, I'm willing to do this. Mm -hmm. And now it's... It's how do we as a group, as a culture, mm -hmm. and the women in particular in our organization, mm -hmm. mold the next generation of women leaders mm -hmm. while at the same time providing that like vision for what it might be for one of those children. Mm -hmm. Well, and Greg, this is one question we got on, on Twitter, and I think you, you kind of spoke to it earlier, that, that moment when you decide this is something the club should, should pursue and make mm -hmm. sure these teams have these coaches, and then that moment of stress of like, God, I thought I was mm -hmm. like being a good ally before, mm -hmm. and I I have my existing network. But how do I roll out? How do I find a whole, a whole slate of of female coaches who can mm -hmm. come in and lead these teams? Talk about that moment of kind of how you you found like what specific things you had to do to to broaden that network or find different ways to find those candidates so that you could really find leaders for all of these teams, which is you know the sheer number of of people you had to find and then also like getting out of what may have been a traditional comfort area and like breaking out of that talk about that process I think you know like anything I've ever done in my life it's, it's kind of the realization of your goals achieve the moment you commit yourself mm -hmm. and so whatever obstacles were going to be in the way 
I had committed to it, so it wasn't that wasn't gonna deter me from moving forward. Um, I think in regard to like the network of female coaches, it's it is difficult to tap into because I think there's two perceptions: one that there aren't enough women coaching, there aren't enough qualified women coaching, and then there aren't enough women interested mm-hmm. in coaching. And I think that those are all misconceptions. Mm-hmm. You just have to dig yeah. a little bit. I, t- I joke with people all the time. I'm from a rural area, went to a D3 UMAC school in western Minnesota. So when I moved here and started covering the Gophers and other, other, um, <clears throat> other women's teams, you realize like last fall you would go to a Hamlin versus McAllister game and mm-hmm. Hamlin had you know a volunteer assistant coach in Jenny Clark who had literally played in the Bundesliga professionally mm-hmm. and then McAllister has Crystal Seidel and mm-hmm. Tori Burnett who both played at the U at an all-conference level mm-hmm. like performer and it's like for me I'm like you've got to be kidding me these like D3 schools mm-hmm. have former division one and professional players coaching mm-hmm. them and like I grew up with like dads coaching us who literally mm-hmm. never played like so there is almost that missing maybe maybe there's not an organic connection point for every technical director and club leader in the world but like you said that pool is there I mean of just all of these women who have played at a high level and maybe it's that moment of going from player to coach that um, sometimes that gap exists. Well, I, I think that's yeah. probably the most important gap right now that we want to close and that's mm-hmm. really one of our ambitions but I, I think that this process takes time just like you alluded to mm-hmm. your experience as a child well mine weren't any different I had a parent <laughs> coach you know and I, right. we had these things and that and the games evolved on the men's side and the boys side significantly mm-hmm. and you know unfortunately there's been a lag time in mm-hmm. women catching up and right mm-hmm. now I mean we just read the paper this morning with the lawsuit filed against US soccer mm-hmm. on behalf of the women's national team like these things need to happen. We have to push the envelope and do these things mm-hmm. in order to, to bring equality into this environment. There are resources available. There are people available. Mm-hmm. You just have to be willing to open your mind and open your eyes and, mm-hmm. and figure out a way. And I think, you know, for me, educators are as important as any. Mm-hmm. Um, and parents are people to be um, collaborated with mm-hmm. and tapped into. And I think historically it's, a barrier. These are parents and mm-hmm. the coaches of the staff, and we're working against right. each other. Well, that's to the contrary. That's not. We need to work together mm-hmm. because they may have understanding and knowledge one of children, but two of of other people who might be good, you know, fits for what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think utilizing all those resources that we have right in front of us, we just haven't opened our eyes to yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and for for you, Taylor and Jen, I mean that process of going from being a player to a coach, you know, where we're probably, you know, a state like Minnesota has tons of, you know, high level club teams, tons of, of uh, girls and women who played division one across the entire country. We're sort of loaded with mm-hmm. at the very least like capable quality soccer players who then go even play some level of college D3, D2. We have, you know, the best D2 conference in the whole country mm-hmm. has a ton of teams in Minnesota. But that switch of going from player to coach, what were some of those transitions that you noticed most about, oh, I used to be one player on the field doing the best I could to be a cog, and now I'm, I'm here trying to empower all these people. What were some of the biggest things that stuck out to you when you had to do that? Um, well, I think I could have had that perspective. I definitely have a defensive mindset because I played center back, mm-hmm. uh, but I also experienced a lot of injury throughout my collegiate career, so I had the blessing in disguise opportunity to, kind of sit. to watch yeah and really yeah to sit on the bench and listen to Chris and my coaches but visually see the game break down and see what was expected of every position and every player 
and just kind of watch it unfold. Um, so when I transitioned into coaching, it wasn't more so the soccer piece because I felt very comfortable with my understanding of the game at that point. And granted, you're always learning. You're going to learn something new and the game's evolving. But it was more so learning that I needed to connect with who I'm working with on a deeper level. Um, it was saying, you know what? Some players are going to be different in how they think, how they approach a game, what they want out of the game. Do they want to be competitive? Are they here to have fun or just to hang out with their friends or are they here to try a new sport because their parents want them to try soccer. Mm -hmm. So it was learning that piece where I'm like, wow, this is different because my motivators and my reasons and my mm -hmm. why weren't going to match every kid I worked with. Right. So it was taking the time to say... You bringing all those 12-year-olds to the national team yeah, was, was, not mean, gonna be a, was not going to be a reality. <laughs> no, and that, you know, some of them have been committing and um, right. hearing that just, it gives me the purest joy I could have to know that um, they viewed me as an impact in their life but it was taking the time to be like you are a human being mm -hmm. um, you're growing you're a child and I motivate and Jen and I talk about this I motivate influence you more than I know yep. mm -hmm. so how can I figure out more about you and your why and your reasonings and what you want out of this um, that was the biggest transition for me from player to coach was okay, did I ever have this from my coaches and how was my experience and how can I use that to make these girls' experiences mm -hmm. better? So not even so much that soccer side, it's more the actual yeah. interpersonal Yes, anybody can side. go to a course or watch a game or listen to a <clears throat> conference talk after and learn about the tactics or 11 v 11 or breakdown or formations. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we have a ton of really good female coaches that understand the game but it takes more than just knowing the tactics to work with kids and to be a coach. And I think that's, that's the biggest learning curve when it comes to coaching is mm -hmm. how can you basically, how can you do both? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what about you, Jen? First shout out to Taylor and how she got to know kids' motivations. I got an email from a parent just a couple weeks ago who was like, Taylor coached my daughter a couple seasons ago and before that she was interested in PT, but like now she maybe wants to be a coach. Mm -hmm. So like Taylor got to know her personally really well, got to know her motivations, and now like that player got to see Taylor as a female role model and maybe wants to be a coach someday. That's so cool. Um, but about like my transition, so I was a role player in college. I um, was a proud member of the right bench in the beginning of the games. <laughs> I got my minutes and helped the team for sure on the field, but part of my journey was being like, okay, how can I help the team even when I'm not on the field? How can I help the team at practice? How can I serve? And the answer was like, I understand the game really well. I'm not always athletic enough to do it on the field, mm -hmm. but I can help coach my teammates who are on the field. And so like at the airport after games, my teammates would come up to me and be like, hey, like, what did you notice today? Mm -hmm. um, and then the other answer is like, I can be a shoulder to cry on. Mm -hmm. So like, the freshmen who come in and thought they were going to start and right. they're not getting a single minute, you know, and they need a hug. Like, right. I can do that for you. Mm -hmm. Or the, the senior captain who, like, <laughs> is learning how to communicate for the first time and people are saying, hey, you're, right. being, to be you're vocal being a and jerk. Visible. I don't like how you're communicating to me. And they, like, don't know how to handle it. I can, like, talk to you in the hallway about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also got injured. So my senior, the year before my final season, tore my ACL and I was like okay like this is an even deeper like how can I still be relevant and how can I serve <laughs> right so and then that whole final season like the first day I was cleared was the first day of preseason I like wasn't I wasn't really ready or fit enough to contribute on the field so that whole final season I mm -hmm. 
kind of consciously took on this role of how can I almost be a player coach mm-hmm. um, and to, to credit Steph like she took me on travel trips even though I wasn't really going to play and she mm-hmm. was like you are making a difference mm-hmm. um, and I think that was helpful for me in that regard like how mm-hmm. you connect with pe- people and what does that matter and then in terms of like coaching I think what was helpful for me to transition from player to coach was like making peace with the process mm-hmm. so like I'm going to mess it up and that's okay. And part of that is like, I always think, I, I try to never think of myself as like, I'm performing as a coach. I'm always kind of like experimenting. Like, mm-hmm. did this work? Oh, it didn't? Like, sorry. <laughs> Let's try this instead. And I think what I'm never experimenting with is, am I tr- treating my kids with respect? Like, that's always a given. But what I can experiment with is like, what activity are we going to do today? Mm-hmm. Um, what formation are we going to play? Like, what's my halftime speech gonna look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and so just being like, at the end of the day, being like, well, today that wasn't very good. <laughs> and then being like, tomorrow, maybe we can do better. And right. being like, that's all right, has been, right. Has been the best for me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, that's great. Well, and the we had one kind of specific question about biobanding, and I think the idea of how do you you know, if U.S. soccer is trying something like, you know, where you group kids more based on where they are physically at that moment as opposed to their specific exact age, you know, with a cutoff date of July 1 X year. Um, but even more broadly, you know, how as a club do you guys think about how those age groups work? I mean, I think what I've heard from other clubs that have done the merger, part of the motivation is, you know, sometimes at one exact age, we won't have enough kids for a team, and then you're left to oh, are they, do they need to try out an age group up? Do they go play somewhere else? Do we then lose them? Or, you know, then do they have to go and do something else? So um, talk about that, kind of the, how you organize those teams and then, you know, touch on that, that bio-banding idea. I feel like I haven't necessarily heard of people doing it locally, but talk yeah, a little bit about that. I, I hope not. Um, <laughs> so you can gain my sense on that. But I, and, and the answer. Yeah, but I, um, there we go. No, I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> The comments that you mentioned were relevant to part of our merger, right? It was the same thing. So we may have had this many children who were at this level and then this many who maybe weren't, and they were grouped together on the same team. And so then the experience wasn't as grand for all of them because there was different struggles. Mm-hmm. All part of the process and the learning experience, which is healthy long-term but challenging in the moment. Mm-hmm. I think Valley was in the same boat. So getting together, we just improved the pool of like abilities. Okay, now... In regard to biobranding specifically, I think that flies in the face of a lot of the things that Taylor just talked about, which was getting to know the human, mm-hmm. right? Because we can talk about physical and send you to the doctor and take tests and you go, well, you're like 14, mm-hmm. yeah, but you're nine. Physically, you're 14, but psychosocially and as a human, you're nine. Mm-hmm. That is not the right thing to do, mm-hmm. okay? So if a player is able to play at a level that is above he or she, mm-hmm. uh, their age, App, that's great. We have provided those opportunities. Okay? It's frequent or infrequent, depending on what the modeling is. Mm-hmm. You know, so at BVU, we do a lot of pool training, which is common across clubs, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so groups have a chance. So right now we have like a 10-year-old boy who's playing with our U12 team mm-hmm. because that's the appropriate place for him. Holistically, mm-hmm. not just physically. Mm-hmm. Holistically, it's the right place for him. Mm-hmm. My, I have a son who plays. His soccer might be a little bit higher. He's not ready in any other capacity. 
Right. So holistically, the best thing for him is there, right? So physically, maybe not, but the, the soccer, that part is a little bit elevated. Only right. because of the culture he's in, he's surrounded by, mm-hmm. right? So we're mindful of those things in the children individually. Mm-hmm. And provide opportunities that provide the appropriate level of challenge mm-hmm. and still provide an arena where they can have self-confidence and self-belief mm-hmm. and be courageous and brave and take risks without fear mm-hmm. of failure. Mm-hmm. So biobranding for me is, is science being used to make up an excuse for a relative age effect in the U.S. soccer shift from September 1 to January 1 and right. the inevitable fallout that's happened. We adjust. Well, right. Yeah. Well, and, it's, and it seems like it's a little bit, I think a lot of the discussions that uh, usually when I see a lot of back and forth on a given topic, what you sometimes see is people who are arguing um, from the lens of prioritizing kind of top performers and who makes the national team and yes. how do we get our top athletes where. Absolutely. Versus, you know, local clubs where um, maybe that's part of the mission, you know, mm-hmm. maybe part of the mission is giving our highest performers a chance to really excel. But in other, in other ways, you're serving, you know, if there's like a, a geographic area you're serving, that, re- that lens is much a smaller sliver than compared to if you're designed to be like... I'm glad you made that point. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, and I right. maybe I'm sound you know, brash. No, having, you're having not made that point ahead of time right. because the reality is we are and I, and I work to serve our membership, right. which is we are a community-based organization mm-hmm. that is here to improve the lives of children. We are not here right. to push the top whatever name you want to tag it, yeah. high-performing elite super academy whatever. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. It's about holistic human development and we use the game as a vehicle to teach. Mhm. And that is why I think it's so valuable and important that we have this pathway for women and for yeah. girls mm-hmm. because of that. So, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, you know, the, everything that was – all the adjustments U.S. soccer has been making, at least it seems like, is mm-hmm. geared towards that, mm-hmm. you know, 1% of 1%. Right. And the reality is – Like who know, funnels all the way up to correct. the senior national. Correct. Country. It's mm-hmm. so thin. I mean, that, that – the right. pyramid just gets smaller and smaller yeah. every minute. Right. And and so many kids in the grassroots methodology, like they're mm-hmm. just they're all in this space and we want to include them mm-hmm. as lifelong learners and yeah. good people and good citizens. Right. Yeah. Well and and Taylor and Jen, there's another thing I think would be kinda interesting. Both of you in your stories or or at least in your in your backgrounds coach kind of multiple teams, maybe not exactly at once, but there's like a layer. I just find it really interesting after talking to so many so many coaches how if you want to be a coach and you're really passionate about it and you have to and you're pursuing it how you have to piece together Mm. sort of like the financial living like the (laughs) the logistical side of being a coach so like we're at augsburg are you're both on staff here as assistant coaches so that's a that's a fall season where you're an assistant coach at uh a pretty you know the mayak is a competitive division three conference um, but then you both obviously coach with BB United. Mm-hmm. Um, Jen, you also do like a girl. There's so many, There's and you mentioned a previous high school coaching job. So talk a little bit about even all the pieces that you piece together. And you don't have to give numbers. If you <laughs> to, because I'm sure we're all very, very wealthy people. We can all talk about salaries. But, the, um, but just talk about those pieces that you build together to um, not just build experience, but to make it, like to make it, work not just from the passion side but how you can do it as a like a professional coach while you're making sure your my claim to fame with piecing it together is that last year I was a morning school bus driver um, which I think relates to coaching more than people assume you're working with kids you have to treat them respectfully yeah. and, and you're in, you know 
have to be driving, but also like monitoring the safety of children. Um, <laughs> and I got to know the community really well. Right. Like I know St. Paul so much better after driving kids around, um, right? So when I care about community coaching, like mm -hmm. finding ways to, to get to know a community is important. Mm -hmm. um, and like now as a girls director of coaching, I have financial stability that I have never had before. Mm -hmm. um, so for years I've been piecing it together. <laughs> for years I've been piecing it together and now like I can invest more fully in my work. Mm -hmm. I can commit more fully to an institution that commits back to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I cannot tell you how meaningful that is. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's I think it's huge for, for supporting women. Like I don't know, look at the, the clubs in the area and how many of them have um, women in like full time or, or mm -hmm. pretty substantial paid positions, I don't, I don't think it's that many. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and talk about before that, what were you did, so at the time when you were like driving the bus, what yeah. were the other, what were, what were like all the other things that sure. you would add up into your full stack of like responsibilities or sure. like work? Um, I was driving a morning school bus from 6.30 to 9.45 a.m. Mm -hmm. um, and then I coached two teams at a club north of the cities. Um, I was assistant coach here. I taught the soccer, the wellness soccer course here for the general students. Mm -hmm. um, I was a soccer consultant for the Wolves, uh, which is a play the Jungle produced last year. Which was absolutely amazing. It's now done, <laughs> but it was just like phenomenal. And the soccer was at least three quarters realistic. Like I believe they were players, which is insane so to, get, to get actors to look like soccer players. It was great. Yeah. Um, and then, like a girl is not a paid thing, but I um, right. But it's still but it's it, still yeah, a lot of requires like, time and effort and, and um, yeah, the biggest thing we did there right. was put on a college showcase tournament for immigrant mm -hmm. refugee teams, mm -hmm. which was awesome. It's up in the Como Park area. Yeah, McMurray Field in Saint yeah. Paul. Yeah, and it's super, super, super fun. You should go check it out, even if you're literally just a human being who wants to see what's happening. It's really cool to see all those all those yeah. teams. Yeah. Yeah, so I <laughs> I was running all over the place. I still am. Um, I'm bl I'm blessed to do so. I, I really enjoy it. But throughout coaching, I would wake up every morning and I, I work for Corver. I used to do it more than I do now, um, Corver coaching. So I would go to a Corver camp from like 9 to noon, and then I'd also have two teams that I would coach. Uh, and then I'd go to Southwest in the evenings. Um, but in college, I was, you know, I had my team, and then when I finished that, I still had schooling. I worked at Under Armour part-time, um, and then I would go coach. So I think for me, it's just how can I continuously be engaged? Even if it's um, not BBU, it's a different soccer environment or coaching environment. To me, I don't look at it as, um, you know, not every club or every camp or organization is gonna promote the same morals and mindset that we are but I still have the opportunity to work with more kids. And with Corver, I work with both boys and girls. When I do pool training at BBU, I'm coaching both boys and girls. So I think that's another thing to point on is, mm. girl coaches don't just have to coach girl mm -hmm. athletes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, kind of like Jen, it's just, if you're in this profession, you're not doing it for the money. And mm -hmm. I preach that over and over and over whenever I'm talking to you know, parents or other coaches, because um, I will have coaches that reach out to me and they're like, hey, are you getting paid enough? Like, do you want to yeah. come here? And I just mm. kind of respond with, that's not the point. That's yeah. not why I'm here. That's not why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. There's a bigger picture. Um, is it hard? Yeah. But spending <laughs> spending the time with these kids is what makes it worth it. And developing myself and learning more about me and learning more about them and 
um, those relationships, that's what gets you by, is going to a pool training with seven to 10 year olds and knowing it's only an hour and you drove, maybe you drove 15 minutes, maybe you drove 45, um, but mm-hmm. you're not there in that moment for the chunk of change that you're getting when you leave. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. So as busy as I think we like to be and we are as coaches, um, we're doing it for all the right reasons, at least. That's mm-hmm. that's the goal. Yeah. So, I guess I could have just asked it a different way and said, how many miles per year do you put in your car? Yeah, I, know, I could have right? just asked that. I do that track one. mileage. I will. Yep. If I didn't track key. mileage, I would be in trouble. That's, yeah, that's um, the only way. Add that expense on yeah, to the yep, taxes. That's, yep. the on, that's the only way to get any yep. captured value yeah. of all yeah. that driving. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys, this was so fantastic. Jen, Taylor, Greg, thanks so much. Greg, I'm going to put you on the spot. If if some club, if some coach, if some parent is watching this and they're like, God, it would be great if our club did something like this, mm-hmm. even at certain ages or across the whole system, I, this is live, so you have no, you have, yeah, uh, can know. they all buzz Absolutely. At, Absolutely. at BB United? Yeah. And you can't, maybe you can't tell on video, but the gear is fantastic. Oh, we yeah. both are just, Thank you so much. branding is awesome, <laughs> the gear is great. So I'm sure you can purchase them on the website. <laughs> pretend to be a coach with them. Yeah. I'd be the only jacket we had. Actually. Right, <laughs> you have the one. So you have to Bullshit. get it from Taylor. Right, but she's she's tagged in the tweet, so you can ask her how much she's asking for it. Thank I you. Can lend it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do a we'll do a share jacket share. Thank you so much, you guys. This is great. You're welcome. Thank you. P.S. Happy International Women's Day to all the females out there. You rock. Woo!